Oh, hello there, loyal listener. Tom Whitcomb here, host of Show Some Respect. Tom Whitcomb is talking. We have a great episode for you today. I'm talking about cryptocurrency. I'm talking about the UFC. I'm talking about golf because I am different to the other guys. Uh, what else are we talking about? Bluey's fat shaming controversy. We're talking about the imperfects. And I got my thought on John Mulaney's new comedy special. You don't want to miss any of it. Um, hey, if you like the podcast, please make sure you're subscribed on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening to this. And hey, spread the word. Tell your friends if you enjoy it. They might like it too. Uh, enjoy the episode. Get into it. Oh, hello there, and welcome to yet another episode of Show Some Respect. Tom Whitcomb is talking. I am the titular Tom Whitcomb, the eponymous Tom Whitcomb from the title of the show. It's fantastic to be here, stealing Will Anderson's lines from his podcast. You guys, you guys listen to that, Willosophy? Do you guys, am I the only one this entitled and self-centered? Who Do you ever listen to podcasts and then pause after the interviewer asks a question and answer it yourself? Well, Will, that's a great question. Uh, no, I've never had a Netflix special. However, I will continue and answer this question as best I can. <clears throat> will Anderson does a podcast called Willosophy, where he has on a whole bunch of different people, um, mostly comedians, but also just general celebrities and friends of his, to talk about their philosophy on life. And uh, the fact I haven't been asked on yet is nothing short of a tragedy. Will Anderson follows me on Instagram, and yet somehow I'm not on his podcast. I I mean, you, you do the maths. I don't understand what, what the disconnect is. Unfortunately, I've also discovered now Will Anderson's um, Instagram is uh, operated by one of his management. Um, and I did get a message from him, but now, you know, what I really got was a message from his account. And it didn't say, hey, Will here. It just said, hey, Tom, I, I, I sent him a message saying when I got the follow from Will Anderson, I said, oh, I, just so you know, this was kind of a big deal. I was really uh, stoked to see this. And the response was, oh, no worries. I saw some stuff online, really liked it, hope to see more. At no point did he make it clear that, that was Will Anderson speaking. As far as I, as I know, uh, one of Will Anderson's representatives liked some of my videos. Um, so baby steps. I want to be on that podcast so badly. I have things the world needs to know about philosophy. All right, I've listened to philosophy podcasts. I vaguely understand Plato. I think vague is a fair adjective for that. I was going to doubt myself, but no, I think I vaguely understand Plato. Do you want Do you want to hear a vague explanation of Plato? Well, then go listen to a philosophy podcast. This isn't the place. Just trust me that I know. Um, I've uh, I'm, I'm I'm having a having a good day. It's a Sunday morning. I've uh, I've got my coffee. I've uh, I've been eating white bread and butter, um, and um, it is not well as of today as of the release of today's show we are 9 days away from my Sydney Comedy Festival show my third Sydney Comedy Festival show uh four if you include they did a a kind of mini festival during uh it's called Laughs at a Lockdown it was just after the first or the second one of the one of the um must have been after the second lockdown, I think. Was it the first one? I don't know. They did one in like September of either 2021 or 2020. Um, and I, that, if you include that, that was a fourth. That was kind of a work in progress. So the third, I've done Amoral was the first one. Ignorant was the second one. This next one is problematic. Uh, and it's going to be starting on Thursday, the 18th of May. 
And um, now that I'm about, in my world, 11 days away from the show, in your world, nine, uh, now is the ceremonial time to start begin, uh, start, begin and commence panicking about ticket sales. And then what happens is uh, about the day of the first show, you remember that everyone buys tickets late because they love to make you suffer and because life is pain. And um, it's, look, hopefully, I'm, I'm worried I may have overextended myself on this one. I've booked a big room in three nights. Uh, I, now, as long as, look, I've got Thursday, Saturday, Sunday. I think it's fair to say Sunday we can expect it to be less busy, let's say. Um, Thursday, Saturday, I would love, I'd love to get as many tickets into there as, as I possibly can. I would love, if I could sell out one of those nights, I would be over the moon. But if I could just get a good crowd in for both, that would be great too. I'm going to be recording the show on both those nights. And I have been going back and forth as to whether I should tell people that because there's one interpretation, which is we should go and be a part of the filming. We're going to be a part of that thing that's happening. And there's another interpretation, which is, well, fuck that. We'll wait till September and we'll watch it on YouTube. Both fair, both very fair. I would suggest, and not just because I have a financial interest in this interpretation, but I would suggest just, you know, totally neutrally that uh, you do both. You come and you, uh, you you spend $25, you come and see me perform it live, because who knows, maybe it'll be terrible and I won't put it out. There's a good way to sell tickets. There's a good way to convince people to come. Hey, don't wait to bid on YouTube, because maybe it'll be shit and I won't put it on YouTube. Come and see the train rack in person. No, it's going to be good. I think it's going to be really good. Uh, don't get me wrong, I have been alternating between periods of immense personal doubt, but it went well in Melbourne and none of those people knew me. And uh, people at this place will know me and they'll laugh anyway just because it's me. And then hopefully some of you uh, don't know me as well and you'll laugh because it's good. And together, it'll just sound like it's going really, really well. And um, I've depressed myself now. I don't know if that's a good thing. It's going to be a good show. There's good jokes in there. Uh, I've got my good friend Alex Milinkovic opening for me. Last time I did a a show that I put on, I did a um, comedy fundraiser at the start of the year. I'm not sure how many of you may have been there. My friend Alex Milinkovic went last on the lineup. I hosted, and uh, by the time he got on, there was this couple at the front being incredibly annoying and uh, kind of fucked up his entire set. And to fair play, everyone who was there was like, You're, the guy who went last did such a good job of handling that, and we felt so sorry for him that he didn't just get to go and do his thing. So I'm hoping this will be a, a chance for a bit of retribution for Alex to come and, and crush a set the way I know he can and then just to, to set them up and make my job a little bit easier. So come and see Alex, come and see me. Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, the 18th, 20th, and the 21st of May. It's going to be a great time. It's going to be a great show. Um, I'm very I'm very torn because I have I have a series of jokes about women's athletics. I am mo- I'm doing everything I can to move myself away from the label of misogynist comedian, which, I mean, from a third-party per- third perspective, um, you would have sworn I spent the first five years of my career desperate to, to not only hold on to, but to single-handedly own that label, to be the misogynist comedian. And look, I'll be honest, if I wanted it, I could have it. I will take the crown away from James O'Connell. That's a reference most of you won't get because no one knows who James O'Connell is. Um, but if you had to have a title for the misogynist comedian, at least in Sydney, it's probably James. And it's great stuff. It makes me laugh a lot. It, he's one of my favourites. Um, but that's because, uh, you know, I've interpreted it as ironic and I'm pretty sure it is, but a lot of people will not give him that benefit of that doubt. Uh, in saying that, if I wanted it, 
If you don't think I could make an hour of jokes about the AFLW, you don't think I have an hour of jokes about the AFLW tucked away in notebooks from the last five years? Of course I do. Because there is nothing funnier than making fun of women's sport. Because I think it is equally... It, it is, it's this perfect triumvirate, this perfect Venn diagram of three areas, which is, one, it pisses people off, which is inherently funny. Getting people mad is very, very funny. Number two, it's kind of like topical. It's of the moment to be very pro-women's sport and, and, to, and to be a bit of a contrarian to that. That's good. And number three, it is undeniable. Anyone who tries to tell you it is as good as men's sport is lying to your face, and that is okay. It doesn't have to be. People like the A-League. It's not as good as La Liga, okay? People like the Super League. It's not as good as the NRL. That's fine. You can watch it. But don't try and tell me, like, well, I think the fact that you think that Sydney FC couldn't beat Manchester City is actually very anti-Australian of you. I think you're just assuming because people are Australian they can't be as good at football because of the weather and the climate. And that's actually a societal interpretation. That's actually a cultural bias that you hold against Australian footballers that Australian footballers have been battling up against for their entire lives. No, it's worse. It's not as good, okay? And that's okay. It's fine. It's fine. Now, now, can you see why I do want to just make fun of women's sport in every show that I do? I don't, I don't feel passionate about most things. I would describe my attitude to most things as indifferent at best. This whole week, I've been like, I've got a podcast to record. Should I learn anything about the coronation? No, I don't give a shit. I feel like I should have a perspective on the royals. It feels as if in the current cultural landscape, if I wanted to get viral on TikTok, I should have a perspective on Charles, Harry, or Meghan. I have none. I couldn't... Here's my perspective on, on them collectively. Uh... I think red hair is okay on women and not on men. And I think suits got way worse after the first season. That's all I can tell you. I didn't mind season four of The Crown. That's as, that's as, as deep as I can go. There is something very toxic about the current state of entertainment where it's like, hey, do you uh, go on camera at all? Oh, you do? Okay, well, we're going to need you to have a perspective on fucking everything, Okay. Hey, uh, Abby Chatfield, now that you have gotten immediately off The Bachelor, if you could start uh, just brushing up on your perspective on vaccinations, we're going to need a soundbite for the morning radio show tomorrow. Is that okay, Abby? Abby, if you could have a bit of a thought about colonization and the monarchy, we'd really love to make a TikTok about it. Jesus. And hey, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to play the game. I'm here for it. I am here for it. Anyway, so uh, long story short, other way around, short story long is really what this is. This is this is way longer than it needed to be. Let's go full circle. If you would like to hear me do the thing about women's sport, which if I'm honest, it's not a huge evolution from what the last thing I said about women's sport. It's actually kind of the same joke, but it's it still makes me laugh all this time later. Um, tell me what night you're coming. Show me the tickets and I'll do it. All right, that's, uh, that's the quid pro quo of this. If you are... Because uh, I will prioritise... Your, enter your entertainment and your experience as a podcast listener, if you want to hear me rinse women's sport, it's not long. It's not long. I'm well aware. My, my father-in-law, who is the most loyal listener of this podcast and everything else I do, uh, he, he, he finds the women's sport stuff quite uncomfortable. I'm aware of it. Chris, if you're listening, you don't need to tell me again. I know. I'm well aware. I get it. 
You're a feminist lefty. I get it. I respect it. I don't identify with it. So if you, if, if you don't want to hear it and your name is not Chris Green, let me know. I'll take that into account as well. If you would like to hear it, well, you go ahead. You drop me a DM. You send me um, some physical evidence or digital of you having ownership of tickets to the show. Hey, if you really want to see it, buy more tickets. Buy 10 tickets and only sit in one of those seats and, uh, and, and you have 10 votes as far as I'm concerned. And I'll, I'll, do, I'll do the thing. I will do the thing. I do worry, one of the nights, and I won't say which because I don't want it to sway which night you want me to uh, perjure myself. Right, correct word? Probably not. Um, is uh, I've, I've got a lot of people from my work coming. My work, my, my company, this is interesting. I spent most of my career trying to avoid anybody uh, I knew in a professional sense from knowing that I do stand-up comedy because it's embarrassing. It is embarrassing. Stand-up comedy, much like any of those sort of fringe arts, improv comedy, acting, magic, mime, of course, um, pretty much anything except music and a sport, obviously, but it doesn't count. Uh, they're embarrassing until you're good at it. Show me, show someone uh, doing a, 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 an amateur magic trick where you can tell how they did it and tell me you don't feel a little bit sad for them. It's, it's just, it's unavoidable. You need to be a certain level of decent before it stops being tragic and it starts becoming endearing. Um, and uh, I think I've gotten good enough that I, I can do well. My biggest fear, my biggest fear is that... Um, a whole bunch of people from my workplace come along and they look around the room and like, oh, it's just us, is it? Oh, okay, I thought there'd be more people. Oh, right, this we are the show. We could have just done this in the office. We could have booked. Uh, we could have booked Glorious. That's the name of one of the rooms. Now we could. We could have booked. We could have booked uh, one of the one of the boardrooms on level twelve. Turn the lights off. Done us ourselves. Saved everyone a bit of money. Um, that's my biggest fear. So please buy tickets. So that's not the case. My company has uh, actually, like, in the budget, taken from the budget tickets to my show, which is very sweet and very nice and also incredibly frightening because I, I, can't, I can't over-approximate... Oh, God. I need to get better at words. I can't... Over-egg. Over-egg is the best word that I can come up with right now, but it's not quite right either. I can't um, overstate. It's not even a hard word, Tom. I can't overstate uh, just how much more frightening doing stand-up is when you recognize anyone in the crowd. Because I'll be honest. Now, all of, all of you loyal listeners who didn't start off just as a, a friend of mine who, um, you know, saw me performing at a comedy club and I was just one of the, the other people who happened to be on. Or, you know, you came across me on Instagram, whatever it is. Um, I don't mean this to hurt your feelings, but in theory, your opinion at the time meant nothing to me. Now it's very important. Now I can't speak highly enough of you and all of your tastes. At the time... Could not give a shit because I get to go on stage knowing no matter how bad it goes, I get to leave and I never see you again. And that is such a relief. 
it is so heartwarming to know I can't do anything with any lasting implications. The night that I have all of my work colleagues coming, that is fucking high stakes. That is a lot. Because I need to deal with the fact, if it goes terribly, every time I make eye contact with someone at work, I'm going to be thinking they know. Even the people that weren't there, I'm going to they've heard. Words gone round. They've somehow managed to create an all-staff email group that excludes me, and they've gone, guys, Tom fucking ate it tonight. It was embarrassing. And I also do think that, like, I mean, I already had it. I think I talked about it on the podcast. In Melbourne, I told a joke about cancer, and a couple of my girlfriend's colleagues, my fiance's colleagues, walked out. And I thought, oh, God, glad I don't have to deal with them ever again. Uh, I don't have that luxury when my work colleagues come. And got to say, a lot of them, big feminist vibes. Although one of them that had big feminist vibes is also a staunch defender of Louis C.K. So you never can tell, can you? I guess perspective is nuanced. Anyway, we'll see how we go. To be fair, I think if I went on stage and I said something truly, truly offensive and I got fired for it, um, so long as I haven't broken any laws, might be one of the best things that could happen for my comedy career. Like, if I could lose my job, if I could find the perfect words to say, which aren't technically hate speech, but puts my boss in such a compromised position that they have no choice but to let me go, oh, the PR is spectacular. Will Anderson might have me on the podcast there as a defender of free speech. Um, And I don't even believe in free speech. I believe in free speech for certain groups of people. (laughs) I wrote this joke this week that I think is so funny, but this is the thing. Back to the the kind of uh, Australia's most misogynist comedian thing. I I think, and I'm hoping that you, loyal listener, as someone who has engaged with me for long enough, will recognise the nature of this. I think misogynist jokes are funny because they are so outrageous, because it's such a stupid thing to say or think or believe. That's the joke to me. So... With that context, this is the joke that I wrote, which even I'm like, all right, Tom, if we're going to really try and shed this label, if we're going to try and convince people, if we're going to try and convince our female colleagues that you don't hate them because of their gender, which I hope most people don't get, but I, am, I'm, I, I have been surprised on occasion when I tell people that my favourite show at the Melbourne Comedy Festival was a 26-year-old female musical comedian, and they were like, I'm sorry, are you insulting her right now? I can, I'm, presuming, I'm presuming this is sarcasm coming from you. No, 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 genuinely. No, I genuinely really, uh, really appreciated her perspective. Or they, I shouldn't presume their pronouns. And like, wait, I'm sorry, is this, a, is this a bit, Tom? Are you doing a character right now? Um, <laughs> this, is, this is the joke that I quite like. I be- Here we go, this is the joke. I believe in a woman's right to choose between a career and motherhood. <laughs> it's pretty good. See, this is this is that's an example of a joke that I would say is actually quite apt political commentary, um, or uh, or that's an excuse. Either way, I'm I'm pretty happy with it. Um, no, I think uh, no, I, I think getting fired from my job for for being too real is how I would is how I would position it for being too real for being for being oh excuse me for telling for telling it how it is um, would be great. It would be really, really great for my career. I'd, go, I'd definitely get some... I mean, I could probably write a whole show about that. That would, I think that would sell tickets. I had a friend who had a massive Melbourne Comedy Festival, got nominated for Best Newcomer by uh, writing a show about going to prison. 
Um, me getting cancelled. Get, it's not even getting fired is so much more important than being cancelled. Because uh, when you get fired, you don't earn more money as opposed to being cancelled where just money, just rain, it just rains money. Um, at least according to uh, the old male comedians that I've seen get cancelled. <sighs> uh, let's move on. I mean, look, I've spent way more time on this than I thought I would. Hey, how long should this podcast be? Can someone tell me? I often thought the fact that I did like 30-minute podcasts was maybe a good thing. But then I see it, you know, when you go to like the Your Podcast or Your Episodes on Spotify and you look through and I'm like, all of these, mine is the shortest by a long way. Should it be 40? Should it be 50? And when I do 40, they seem to get more listeners. But does that have anything to do with it? I, who knows? Um, what else? Oh, I wanted to ask this. So in last week's podcast, I talked about my Uber rating and my, uh, my, my dis- disgruntlement with it. I don't know. I've, just, I've been taking Didi a lot more. And I don't, does Didi even have a rating? For me, if it doesn't, they should publicize that more. Now, granted, you're probably going to get a very, very low breed of customer when you start using as one of your prime product benefits. Hey, we don't care what you do in this. Hey, come ride with Didi. We don't give a shit how you treat our drivers. Um, but I had some people reach out to me and tell me their Uber, Uber ratings, which was interesting. It was great to hear. And I would love to know... What is your Uber rating? Let me, DM me. DM me on Instagram or Facebook, whatever your, your chosen method of communication is. Or just shoot me a text if we're friends and tell me, what is your Uber rating? I want to find, here's, here's my thing. All right. Before, uh, let's put the cut off. Sunday the 14th of May, because that's probably when I'm going to record the next episode of this podcast. Sunday the 14th, the lowest Uber rating that I can find gets two free tickets to the show. Whichever night you night, Thursday, Saturday, or Sunday, whatever night you, you prefer, um, and I'm going to really strongly suggest you prefer Sunday. But who, help me find. I want to find the lowest, the lowest Uber rating I can find. Ideally, still active, and ideally with some kind of explanation of how we ended up there, because I would love to know. Because I think it is an. Un, I mean, I feel like 4.7 is quite low. I'm a little bit ashamed of it. It makes me feel that I, I thought that. Most of the time in Ubers, I was just being neutral, but maybe I was being a dick. Let me know. I'd love, I'd love, reach out, put it in the comments. There's no comments. Just let me know. I'd, I'd love to find, or even if you know, do you know someone who has an, 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 an outrageously low Uber rating? If so, get in touch. Love, love to hear from you. Now that was uh, just for, for context. I have a, an A4 sheet of, of talking notes here. That was point zero, because <laughs> I had points one, two, and three, and then I remembered. Oh, I should talk about the show at the start. So I'm. Uh, this is. I mean, this is looking out like being a pretty long episode, which I think is only a good thing. Um, here, what else, what it was? I was going to talk about. You know what point one was? My plans today. There we go. That's good. Here were my. I, I was going to go play golf, but it's raining outside, and so it, it was a friend of mine's birthday a couple of weeks ago. We were going to play some golf and hang out. Um, that's no longer happening. So instead, we're going to go to the pub and have a schnitzel and watch UFC. Tell me I'm not diverse. Tell me I don't have broad ranges of interests. I could play golf or I could watch blood sports. I'll do it all, baby. There really are only three kinds of men anymore, aren't there? I think. I think there's like... If, if, you, take, if you take class out of it, because I think there's, 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 there's kind of like sport-watching man. There's kind of like highfalutin, classy man, and there's uh, 
man who doesn't quite have the courage to become non-binary but is right on the precipice. You know, the, the allies. Let's call them allies. Imagine calling yourself an ally and being proud of it. That is just lowest of the low territory, isn't it? Because that's, I mean, the, the fact you have to call yourself an ally is like, hey, um, I'm anti-discrimination. I've never faced any discrimination, but I would also like an identity out of this if I could have one, please. Um, you know, the, the, the men who put their pronouns in their profile where it's, where it's completely obvious, like where if they were they, them, you'd almost assume it was a joke. It's like, man, you played in the first 15, we know. He, him, got it. I wasn't going to question that anytime soon. Um, I'm just, and even then, I don't know what, I don't really know. I think the guy who plays golf and the guy who watches UFC is probably the same guy. And his name is Tom Whitcomb. Show some respect. He's talking. I am, um, and and this is and this is the other thing that I had to do today. I had to um, record a podcast and check my crypto portfolio. It's. Do you ever start to realize that we're all stereotypes, um, and there's only a handful of them, especially within races. I am just draw a picture of a straight white guy. It's probably going to be me, isn't it? Probably get you know you just you know those guys who do the caricatures down by the Sydney Opera House and you're like uh, hey can you draw a character of my of friend and you show them the picture and they're, they're like what are their interests and they and 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 you're like well he's 31 years old and he went to a private school you tell me and they're like oh okay combat sports and his short game yeah that's it that sounds like him go ahead and throw it in there also if you can put a Bitcoin in the background and maybe a copy of the Barefoot Investor I think that should round it out nicely. Yep, that's me. That is me. Crypto's got to be coming up soon, doesn't it? Surely. It keeps it keeps tipping. It keeps tipping over the three grand mark for my Ethereum. It's got to go up because if it doesn't, then I bought at the top and I'm an idiot and that can't be right. It's got to keep going up. It's got Surely. Surely. Surely GameStop is still going to me, make me generationally wealthy. Did you guys know much about that GameStop thing? Let me just tell you just a little bit of a peek behind the curtain um, of what the philosophy of the GameStop movement was that I am still partially ascribed to is that um, because of the way that GameStop, the share, was treated by Wall Street investors, at some stage there would be a short squeeze, go ahead and Google that if you like, that would drive the price so up that a single share would be worth millions of dollars. Right now a single share is worth $20, but they believe that in the future, not only might this be the case, it is inevitable that one GameStop share will be worth millions of dollars. And if you think I haven't planned out how I intended to spend those millions of dollars, you don't know me at all. I reckon I could find a notebook within arm's reach right now which had budgets for houses in the tens of millions. Because I was like, well, obviously I'm not going to go crazy I'm just going to buy a nice house, a good affordable car, just like a really nice Volkswagen Golf. I don't need to have flashy wealth. What am I going to tell my friends? I, this is true. I had a, a strategy. I had tactics in place for how I was going to explain this wealth to my friends so it didn't complicate our relationship because I had tens of millions of dollars in the bank. This is the level of delusion that I'm operating on. Just in case the fact that I'm trying to become a professional stand-up comedian and start a global podcast wasn't enough for you to know that I have a very unrealistic expectation of what my life is going to be like. Here's just some more evidence for you. Good to know.
here's, here's what else I'm doing tonight. I'm going, so it was my uh, fiance's birthday last week. And tonight we are going to go see The Imperfects. I don't know if you guys know about The Imperfects. I talked to them about them a few weeks ago. Uh, again, just to compound my feelings of uh, self-delusion and uh, the, the, the amount of self-grandeur involved in my estimation of myself. I got nervous after I released that of, oh, well, what if they want me to come on the podcast one day and they find out I was talking shit about them? I genuinely got a little nervous about that. And so far, the guests that they've had on in the Australian comedy community are Hamish Blake and Becky Lucas, the most beloved Australian radio presenter of all time and a woman who was host of the gala and has her own book out. And I'm like, well, it's only logical that I'm next, I guess. Um, they also had Dill Rook on. You know, I mean, the bar isn't that high. So uh, the, the Imperfects is kind of like a... Positive psychology podcast, I guess. Actually, I wonder how they describe themselves. Uh, it's kind of like, it. it is definitely in the world of positive psychology. Um, and uh, they they like very all about vulnerability and openness. How do they... Hugh Van Koenlenberg chats to a variety of interesting people who are willing to make themselves vulnerable by sharing their imperfections and their struggles. Yeah, okay. Kind of... Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the, the name The Imperfects is basically a nod to, oh, we're all imperfect and perfection is not worth striving for because it's not realistic, et cetera, et cetera. And it is, it's quite, it is at, 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 at very, um, pretty extreme odds to what I usually listen to, which is, um, hey, here's how you can make it and if you don't make it, you're probably a bitch, which is how I would probably surmise the... Uh, the podcast I tend to listen to, especially recently, I've been really getting back into the hustle culture. Yeah, the the, the <laughs> central to hustle culture is the belief that the only thing between me and point uh, one percent of the population levels of success is the right YouTube video. <laughs> that if I Google how if I if I YouTube search how to make it in a, as a creative. Um, in enough combinations of ways. If I, if I can find the right words to put that, that out there is uh, some guy I've never heard of who spends eight minutes talking to a camera is going to unlock my inner potential. Uh, and that's what I do rather than spend time sitting down and actually making anything. Um, the imperfects are kind of the opposite of that, where it's, it's, not about, it's not about making it. It's about why do you feel the need to make it in the first place and why is it, uh, not making it not sufficient. And it, it's it's it, they make a good point, but I can't I can't help but listen to that stuff in the back of my brain. Just have a, that tiny little voice, which is not helpful at all, but is rather seductive. Going bullshit, I can't I can't help it. There was a very good episode of The Imperfect, so that I will recommend, which is um, Ryan Shelton is one of the hosts of The Imperfects. Obviously, Ryan Shelton, uh, for those unaware, a big part of that kind of Hamish and Andy crew. He and Amish, Hamish, Hamish, best mates uh, from from a young age, and they kind of ha they had Hamish on the podcast, and he, they had this big conversation about basically Hamish started becoming friends with one of the other hosts of the podcast, also a friend of Ryan Shelton's, and Ryan talking about how he gets very uh, protective of his friends and the fear that his two friends will like they will like each other more than they like him. And I've never heard anyone talk about that, but I think everyone listening to it and even the other hosts of the podcast being like, this is so relatable. I remember being a kid and being like, the reason that three people were hanging out, 
I brought two of my friends, two of my friends along who didn't know each other that well, and instantly they exclude you. And you're like, what happened? I two of us should be excluding the other one. I shouldn't be the one left out. How did this take place? Um. So I mean, look, these guys are imperfect. They've done a couple of live shows now. I can't remember. They sold out two shows already, and I think they were about to sell out tonight, which is at the State Theatre. And so basically what they are doing is they've started a podcast and they are now selling out shows around the country by talking about positivity. Now, if you know anything about what I'm trying to do for a living, this is a terrible sign for me uh, because I'm trying to make a living selling out shows around the country uh, by talking about anything but. Uh, I'm leaning pretty heavily into negativity and was hoping that that might be the way forward. And it, and, and it, relatively, between their success and my success, um, they seem to be winning. Uh, and I, I, don't, I don't know whether this requires a change in tact, because on the one hand, I think there seems to be this big cultural narrative of um, rejecting shame. That seems to be what these guys are really leaning into is self-acceptance, self-belief, rejecting shame as an unhelpful negative emotion. And I think shame is actually very funny. Some of the funniest things come with either being ashamed or shaming other people. You know, I mean, I think body shaming is objectively probably quite a hurtful negative thing to do, but also very funny for the rest of us, isn't it? It is a good time as long as you're not involved. I rest, I remain uh, totally adamant that the funniest moments I've ever had in any social situation are the moments where there's like seven people around a table and six of them are laughing very hard and one of them is very hurt. <laughs> that's that's the funniest thing to me. And I've, I think you, when you've been on both sides of that equation, you can, you can accept that in those moments where you, you know when all of a sudden you're the dick in the group and you're like, how did this happen? I didn't see this coming. Uh, not comfortable at the time, but you have to remember when you're in those situations, gee, everyone else looks like they're having a great time, don't they? Um, all the other, let's be honest, men at the table are really enjoying this and I'm going to have to just eat one today. Or you do what some of my friends got very good at in high school and this is a skill. I think, look, if there are any parents listening who have children either approaching their teenage years or even, you know, just thinking that far ahead, the, the number one skill I think you can teach a young boy, especially when I was growing up, maybe it'll be different um, in the current age, you know, when, by the time uh, I have children and uh, the just in, even the concept of gender it hasn't existed for, for years. <clears throat> but as, if, if, if you were raising a child to uh, survive, uh, especially private schooling in the early 2000s, the best thing you could teach them was that kind of off of me onto you technique. Do you know the thing I mean? Where you are absorbing all of the offense and the attack and you can just kind of like just shimmy it across to the person who just happens to be next to you. And all of a sudden before the group even realises what's happened, they're just attacking someone who was an innocent bystander to that point or part of the mob to begin with and they start eating their own. They don't even remember that they had anything to say about you in the first place. I have some friends who thrived in high school purely because they were able 
to shift it onto whoever was close. And it is, I mean, an amazing talent. It more than resilience, more than self-confidence, more than any monetizable skill. If you can just find a way to to weasel your way from the bottom of the pack to somewhere in the middle, you don't want to be the top because that's like being the ace in handball where that everyone's coming for you. You want to be in the middle so you can blend in. Become part of the mob. Stop being, you know, if Frankenstein could find a way to just rip those things out of his neck and, and, and change his color and just kind of integrate his way into the mob, pick up a pitchfork and make someone else look like the monster. That's the, that's the real skill. That's the best way to survive um, in, a, in, a, in, in a modern world. And, and if you can do that, then you can, you can really, you can accept shame as a, uh, a necessary evil um, to have a few laughs at someone else's expense, you know. And I have. I think that's the really the, at the at the the heart of my comedy. I don't think it's very clear on the surface, but I think really below the surface, at the beating heart of it all, is just so much shame. I'm I am ashamed of how many things I'm shameful of. I, I think. I I I there is no shortage. There is no name name a thing. I'll tell you how I'm ashamed about it. Um, and. Seeing other people trying to skirt that and trying to avoid being ashamed for things that they have every right to be ashamed of is uh, is, is hurtful to me. Did you see, there was a thing in City Morning Herald this week, sometimes I'm uh, navigating through the world and I see an article, I'm like, well, there's 10 minutes in the podcast. Um, and I don't think I'm actually going to get 10 minutes on this because then I tried to speak out loud about it and I realised I it's a fucking minefield. But um, Bluey, beloved children's TV show, Bluey about a dog um, has been in trouble. They've had to they've had to re-release an episode because it released body shaming imagery. Body shaming after one of the dogs stepped onto a scale. I mean, how it, it's twenty twenty three, guys. It's it's time to move on. Scales are obviously inherently fat shaming. Um, every time I see a UFC weigh in or a cooking program where someone is trying to. Measure out ingredients. I mean, how do you think the 500 grams of flour feels about being reduced to a number? Um, because obviously, this is this is the argument about uh, weighing yourself being fat shaming is, oh, well, you know, weight does not equate to health. Cannot. Think about the, think about the generation we're going to, we're going to raise. God, if we, if we raise generations to think that their weight could be too high, we stand a real chance of uh, bringing up an entire age group of people who could be attractive. And how could we possibly live with ourselves? Oh, oh fuck, I don't know. I don't know what I... I don't know. All, all I can say for sure is this. I understand that there is a real cultural issue with fat shaming, and I don't want people to suffer any more than they absolutely have to. Life is hard enough without having uh, an entire culture of society make you feel bad about yourself. But I will say, every time I hear someone say a cartoon is fat shaming because there is a set of scales involved, I have never wanted to fat shame anyone more in my entire life. I've heard a lot of people who are like comedians who get lumped in with the right wing say this thing recently, which I think is so true. When Donald Trump got elected president, they weren't happy that Trump was president, but they did love seeing how miserable 
all the fucking grandstanding Democrats in their country were, I remember feeling that way exactly. I remember the level of schadenfreude, not because I thought Trump was going to be a good president, but just seeing, I remember, I remember the day. Oh, I forgot about this. It was delectable, the schadenfreude of this. The people I was working with, these kind of like baby boomer feminists talking about what a fucking joke Donald Trump was and how everyone who could possibly support him was a fucking idiot, moron, unempathetic, whatever, and just watching the votes roll in, just what, just just watching the concept of Hillary Clinton being sworn in just vanish from their minds in real time. What a day. What a day. Tough four years afterwards, but at the time, what a day. <laughs> All right, I, this is, how long has this episode been going for? I've been having a good time, though. This is feeling pretty good. Time. 40 minutes, boy. All right, we'll, 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 we'll wrap it up in a sec. The last thing I wanted to talk about today was um, John Mulaney's new special. Uh, presumably, presumably, is that even a word? Pres- presumably. Oh, I need to get an editor so I can make it sound like I'm smarter than I am on this podcast. Presumably, as uh, someone who's listening to this podcast, you are a comedy fan in general, and as such, I feel like it's uh, probably you might have an interest in, in in the latest happenings in the world of comedy specials and all of that. John Mulaney's new special, Baby J, on Netflix. Um, I'm a huge John Mulaney fan. I think he is, and I'm not saying anything groundbreaking here. I think a lot of people feel this way. One of the the best of this modern generation of comics. I mean, for how good he is at 39 years of age, I think, he's going to be this next generation of the Louise and the Dave Chappelle's and before him the Priors and the Carlins. Like, he he will go down, especially because he's always prioritised stand-up. Stand-up and writing seems to be his big thing. I think Mulaney will be an enduring figure in comedy. Um, His special Baby J which is all about... It's basically the story of his um, recovery from addiction uh, and his kind of slow descent into cocaine addiction pretty much his entire life. For those unaware, Mulaney, Mulaney has put out two Netflix specials, a couple of Comedy Central specials before that. He's been doing comedy since he was like 20 years old. Used to open for Mike Babiglia. Early, early in his career, he became one of the... Not a head writer, but like a, a, a key writer at Saturday Night Live for a few years. If you remember, Bill Hader had that uh, character on Saturday Night Live, Stefan, who was the gay kind of entertainment correspondent or whatever on Weekend Update. That was Mulaney's character. He and, he and Hader wrote that together. Anyway, big, big deal in the world of comedy. He's also on, he's a voice on Big Mouth. He did that Broadway show, Oh Hello. He has one of the most phenomenal careers. I, I often play this game of like, if you could swap careers with anyone ever, who would it be? And for me, a lot of the time it's Mulaney. I think the, the combination of writing plus like the weird side projects he's done and stuff, I really, really envy it. I think it's phenomenal. Um, already well-respected as one of the great comedians of his time. And uh, Baby J, is, it's such an interesting special about like, he talks about having a, a star-studded intervention at his house. Like 13 people, you know, five of them Saturday Night Live cast members, hosts of The Tonight Show, all of them at his intervention. He also kind of talks about because he was so likable for so long, and he played this real baby face, you know, loving husband, um, really clean cut, and uh, to find out that he was in the grips of like a really really terrible coke addiction was um, it was great. It was a really really excellent special. I highly recommend it. 
Um, I watched it in uh, three twenty, no, four twenty-minute increments uh, because, like the rest of you, my brain is just slowly turning to mush. Uh, I can't concentrate on anything for even those twenty minutes. By the end, I was drifting off, but still, thoroughly enjoyed the special. And uh, I really, I took t- on a personal note, I took two things away from it. Number one is seeing him tell this very touching, emotionally poignant story about addiction and uh, where he's in at in his life now. Oh, what I would give for some real problems to talk about on stage. I have, f- I have nothing. I have nothing. This is uh, every year. I'm well aware that both the Sydney and the Melbourne Comedy Festival prioritizes shows that have some kind of emotional depth. And every year I am faced with the fact that I am very emotionally shallow. My, the, the, my, my lows only get so low. What I, just give me some kind, of, some kind of trauma to deal with, something to overcome that I can talk about on stage. Um, nothing. I've got nothing. I've got nothing. People are writing comedy shows about overcoming cancer. I've got fuck all. Uh, here I am just making fun of the AFLW for 20 minutes and then amazed when uh, the Melbourne Comedy Festival, uh, which, let's be honest, the forefront of uh, left-leaning comedy in Australia right now doesn't hand me a Best Newcomer Award. But guys, didn't you hear all of my stuff about the LGBT community? It's actually quite cutting when you, when you really strip it back. I know it sounds offensive, but there's some there's some there's a point there. It's like yeah, but not a point we have any interest in making. That's fair, that is fair. Um, and the second point that I've thought about is, have I missed out by not doing uh, enough good drugs? Have I never really done good cocaine? I haven't done that much anyway. But maybe I would have if I mean the way he makes it sound. It sounds pretty great. It sounds like good stuff. Also, pharmaceuticals. Never got into pharmaceuticals. I mean, maybe that's what they mean when they call America the land of opportunity. The opportunity to, to, to get, to really put some great stuff into your system. He was talking about clonopin. I don't even know what clonopin is, but I kind of want to try it now. Does anyone know where I can get some clonopin? So here's what you've got to tell me. Number one, what's your Uber rating? Number two, should I do the women's sports stuff? Number three, can I get some clonopin from you? Get in touch if you can if you can help out with any of those things. Um, it is I think I hear these people who because there is obviously a, there's a middle ground right. There's the people who never touched anything in their entire life. Boring. Um, there's the people who just imbibed way too much and and went through a really tough time and that sounds hard. And there's the people in the middle who's like, oh yeah, I did drugs on occasion and had a great time. And I'm like, I wish I was more like you. Which don't I've 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 had some experiences, but I would like to have more, and uh, I blame this country. It's a problem with the isolation of this country. It's very hard, very hard to get good drugs here. People don't talk about that. People, the lucky country indeed. I don't think so. If we were a really lucky country, we'd have some high quality MDMA floating around, and from what I hear about it, pedestrian at best. And um, hey, is that a good time to leave it? Look, I think so. Long episode today. But a good one, I think. Felt pretty good. Enjoyed doing it. I did it standing up. Did you feel that? Did you feel the energy? Really bringing it. Um, Hey, Sydney Comedy Festival, nine days away. Please get tickets. Please come along. Would love to see you there. Uh, Don't wait till it's on YouTube. Be better than that. Uh, And otherwise, 
I'll see you next week. Show some respect. Tom Whitcomb's talking.